in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus begins to talk about, like I said, it's a topic of uh, uh, a very popular topic right now in the Christian world. And a lot of the things that people have wanted to know since time began, I guess, is when will time end and when will the world, world come to an end? And we know that the Bible talks about a time when the world as we know it will come to an end. And so as we look here in chapter 24, uh, I want to talk to us this morning just about the first 13 or 14 verses. So Matthew 24, 1 through 14 today. And the title of this lesson, I just want to call this The Beginning of Sorrows. And uh, I've been seeing this for quite a while, and this finally the Lord opened the, opened the opportunity now. He wants me to share this with you. So I just want to share with you what he's shown me about this. And there's a lot of people who, who look at <clears throat> uh, studying the end times and this, that, and the other, and they go off and they find epistles and they find uh, uh, the book of Revelation and they start there, but they forget that we have to start with what Jesus said. And everything that's said afterward in the epistles or in Revelation or wherever has to fit what Jesus said because Jesus told us what was going to happen. And so that's what I wanted to talk to you about today was the beginning of sorrows. And so let's pray over this before we begin. Ask the Lord to help us today. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for your presence with us. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness upon our lives. And we thank you, Lord, for our salvation, which we enjoy in Jesus Christ. Father, as we open the word today and hear uh, when Jesus sat here and, and talked to his disciples about the end of time, Help us, Lord, as we look at the words he spoke. Help us to understand what he said and what they mean for you and I, uh, us today. And we pray, Lord, that you just bless this service today and give us the ability now to speak and, Lord, and to proclaim your word. And we also ask, Lord, for ears that hear and eyes that see and that our hearts will understand what we see and hear today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Matthew 24, verses 1 through 3, it says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, he sat, now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? We have to remember something that just the day previous, Jesus had uh, cleaned out the temple. This is after he had had the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. He had come in there and he'd cleaned the temple out and he'd drove all the money changers out and turned their tables over and said that God's house is supposed to be a house of prayer and you've made it a den of thieves. And now as they left that area and come back out, they start to talk about the temple. And the apostles, no doubt, at that time in, in history, world history, this may have been the most grand building ever constructed was the temple that Herod had built there in Jerusalem. It was a magnificent building and it was adorned with beautiful stones and huge stones and things like that and, and uh, all the things that went into it. And so the disciples look at Jesus and say, Lord, look, look what a grand building this is. Look what a grand place we have to worship God. And Jesus surprises them. And he said, everything that you see here will be thrown down. Now, I don't know what's the biggest structure you've ever seen I, uh, with your personal 
eyesight. I don't know what it is, but I'm sure some of us have maybe seen something huge, like a, maybe a big battleship or maybe a big skyscraper or whatever. We all have that something in our mind. It's just something we saw. That's the biggest, grandest thing I've ever seen. <clears throat> you would never believe that it could come to naught. That's what happened at the World Trade Center, wasn't it? People thought, well, this is, these two towers are just magnificent, but they came down in just a few moments. So Jesus tells them here that this grand temple that you see, there's going to be nothing left of it. Not one stone will lay upon another. that will all be thrown down. And so they come to him and say, well, when is this going to happen? What's going to be the sign to let us know this is about to happen? <clears throat> and this is the age-old question that everybody wants to answer to, isn't it? When is the world going to end, right? In verses 4 through 5, let's read. <clears throat> and Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. I have always thought that it's so interesting that when they ask, what's the sign of when you're going to return and all these things are going to take place? When, what are we to look for to know that it's getting close? Jesus tells them some things here in a few moments about earthly signs that will happen. But what's the first thing Jesus tells them? Take heed that no one deceives you. Oh my. Deception is the very first thing that Jesus mentions. Why is that? It's because during this time there's going to be many false Christs and false prophets that will rise up and they're either going to say one of two things. <clears throat> they're going to say, Jesus has already come and He's over here. we got to go to Him. Or they're going to say, He's almost here and He's told us to meet Him over here. That's what they're going to say. And Jesus says, don't let anybody deceive you. We find out in a couple of weeks that he said, just as quick as the lightning strikes from one side of the sky to the other, that's how fast it will be. You won't have to come out and meet me. I'm coming for you. Amen? Amen. So that's why Jesus says, don't be deceived. <clears throat> they will use the fact, this is a fact, that Jesus is supposed to return during bad times. You know, that's a fact. Jesus is going to come when the world is in a real, real mess. They're going to use that fact to deceive Christians into following them. They're going to swell up and say, Oh, I've heard from God. An angel sent me a message. This is what we need to do and this is where we need to go. Jesus said, Don't be deceived by those things. Amen. Some are even going to say that they're prophets or messengers of Christ. And others are even going to declare themselves to be Christ. Right? They claim that that fellow down there, I think it was uh, back when I was, I don't know if I graduated high school yet, I can't remember the exact year, but down in Waco, Texas, a fellow named David Koresh, they're finding out now that he actually told some of them people that he was Christ incarnate, that he had returned, and that he was him. And look how many people he deceived, and they lost their lives. Because of that, a lot of them did. Either way, their goal is to lure people into worshiping them and away from Jesus. <clears throat> and Jesus said, take heed. Don't let anybody deceive you. He is returning. Things will be bad when He does return. But we don't have to go follow some earthly Savior because ours is coming for us. Amen. 
We don't have to go out and meet him. We don't have to go to some secret chamber. We don't have to go any place like that. He's coming for you and I. Amen? Amen. There's two main things these false prophets are going to do. They're going to declare themselves as working for Christ, but they're not going to correctly teach the principles of Jesus. And there's two main categories that I see all throughout the Bible that these fall into. Some of them is going to teach that willful sin is okay. Does that sound familiar? We see a lot of that in the Christian world today. People say, oh, it don't matter what you do. They're going to teach that it's okay to do willful sin. But we've, we've beat that horse long enough. We know, we know the truth that we're required to live righteously and to not commit sin willfully, right? But I want to talk about that second reason, that second thing. And some are going to teach that people need to be involved in earthly matters more than spiritual ones. Does that sound familiar? That's also a form of deception. We have to understand that that's a form of deception. When a Christian pastor or a teacher or somebody speaking on behalf of Christ gets up and tries to get you more involved in natural things than in spiritual things, that's a form of deception. Jesus called that being weighed down with the cares of this life. Now, are we to, to be uh, care about things in this life? Sure we are. Are we to try to make things in this life better? Sure we are. But we have to understand this one fact. The reason this world is in chaos is because people's hearts are full of evil. And if those people will turn to Jesus, they will change and they will do better and do better things. That's what we have to remember. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Amen? Man. Political elections are a prime example of this. Yes, it's good to be involved, and it would be great if every person in authority was a devout Christian. Think about that. If every person in political office, in government, everywhere, in whatever shape, form, or fashion that authority was, if they were devout, honest-hearted Christians, boy, it would be a good world, wouldn't it? But even if that were true, the tendency of man to commit sin would still cause men to commit sin. And the problem really wouldn't be remedied. It may get better on a lot of fronts, but it's not going to change the fact that man is sinful and needs who? Jesus, a Savior. Amen. We can have good laws, righteous laws, godly laws, but because man is sinful, they will break them. To properly teach Jesus' doctrine, we must first address the sinful nature of man's heart. Just because we pass laws that people can or can't do something doesn't change the fact that people are going to do it. There's been laws in this country for how long that you can't murder? But does murder still happen? Absolutely. God put out a law in the days of Moses thousands of years ago that man can't murder. But man's been murdering ever since then. So we have to understand that one form of the deception, we talked about the one part that, <clears throat> that people want to, want to commit willful sin. That's a deception. But it's also a deception to think that we can fix people's spiritual issues through natural means. It's another form of deception. Be careful. Take heed 
that nobody deceives you and causes you to get your mind off of Jesus and on earthly things. Amen? Amen. Verses 6 through 8. Now He gives us some of those signs, earthly things that we will see. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. We experienced a pestilence with COVID-19. It affected the whole world. No matter who, where it originated, how, what the, the process was, nobody really knows. A lot of people got lots of ideas. The fact of the matter is COVID-19 got into our society and it affected a lot of people and it killed a lot of people. It was a worldwide pestilence. I think I re- I'm telling you right, I heard a news report the other day, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, somewhere in Afghanistan they had a massive earthquake and a thousand people were dead at, right off the bat. They knew that a thousand people were dead. That could grow a lot by a lot more by the time they dig everybody out. See, these are things that are happening that Jesus is saying, these things are going to happen. They've been happening for a long time. They're going to continue to happen, and they will get worse, but not to be troubled by those. But see, a lot of these Christian ministers, what are they doing right now? They say, oh, see there, see there? It's, it's, it's about he's almost here. And they get people anxious, and they get people worried. But what did Jesus say here? Don't be troubled. These things are going to happen. But the end is not yet. Amen? So Jesus downplays the earthly signs as a reason to be anxious about His return. But one of the first things you could go and ask a lot of Christian ministers and teachers, what are the signs that Jesus is about to return? And the first thing they'll do is say, well, it's the earthquakes and the pestilence and all that. Jesus said, don't be troubled by those things. He said, don't be deceived. That's the biggest sign that we know that the Lord's return is coming back is this great deception that's taking place. Causing us to weary ourselves about what's going on. These signs have been going on for a long time and will continue to happen right up to the end. They will grow worse and worse, but Jesus said not to be alarmed because they must take place and the end won't come immediately. The reason he says this is so that we won't be deceived by false prophets who use these signs as a way to make us anxious. Jesus refers to this period of time and it's the same as our title lesson of our lesson today. The beginning of sorrow. Look at that right there in that verse. Verse 8. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Amen. Verses 9 through 12. Then, during this time, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. And then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. A couple of things are going to happen during this period of the beginning of sorrows. Lawlessness will abound in the world. Sound familiar? People just do whatever they want to do. It's bad enough, like we mentioned a couple weeks ago. You know, it's one thing for people to say they're homosexual. It's bad. 
But it's a completely different form of evil when people start to say that they can change whether they're male or female. That's lawlessness. That's working against the laws of nature. Much less what God says. It's just going against what you were born. Amen? You can't go out in the field there. Uh, Dad's got cattle and I've got goats and chickens. I can't go and turn a rooster into a hen and start laying eggs. I can't make a bull into a cow to give birth. It's just against nature. It's evil. And Jesus said the beginning of sorrows will be marked by evil and wicked things. But still, even at that, don't be troubled. Amen? Because these things are going to happen. Mankind's going to get so evil that God has no choice but to come and take us out and punish them. That's what the whole point of the end time is and the point of the great tribulation, which we'll talk about in another week or two. That's the whole point of it. Because man becomes so evil. Extreme worldwide persecution of Christians will mark the time frame just prior to the Antichrist being revealed. But see, all these Christian people right now in America say, oh no, we will not go through any persecution. We will not be persecuted. We will not. We refuse. We'll fight. What did Jesus say? Verse 9. They will deliver you, who is you, followers of Christ, up to persecution, uh, to tribulation and kill you. You will be what? Hated by all nations for my name's sake. The United States of America is not exempt from being one of the nations that will hate Christ and His followers. And you see the beginnings of that now. You see, we have right now a government that is anti-Christ across the board. Amen? On the federal level. <clears throat> Second Thessalonians 2 and 3 tells us that this is the time frame just prior to the Antichrist being revealed that complete lawlessness will take place. Later in Matthew 24, Jesus describes this same time period as, as it was in the days of Noah. Mankind had their hearts set on evil and had become a lawless society. Here in our text, in verse 12, Jesus speaks about this beginning of sorrows as a time of lawlessness. Look at verse 12. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. This period is marked by the wickedness of mankind. 2 Timothy 3 calls it this period perilous times. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. 1 Timothy chapter 4 calls it when Christians will follow the doctrines of devils. This time is also the same time that the Bible describes as the great falling away or the great apostasy. You mean people will walk away from serving Christ? Sure they will. The Bible says they will. This is also the time period when many Christians will be deceived and depart from the faith. And this is what Jesus was describing throughout chapter 24 and 25 when He repeatedly warned about this deception. 1 Thessalonians 2 teaches us that a great falling away will happen. And these are the three things that are going to happen during this great falling away. First, is it going to be allowing our love to grow cold for the world? Because people are so wicked and so evil, Christians are going to allow themselves to have their love for them grow cold and forget to pray for them. You know, abortion's a hotbed issue right now in our country, right? 
Who needs prayer more than anybody than some deranged female that's demanding the right to kill an unborn baby? They need prayer. As much if not more than anybody. So we have to allow the sense that they've lost their minds. I was thinking about this the other day. People were this... Uh, Roe versus Wade had got overturned. Thank God it did, right? That's a good thing. But some of the people on the other side of that issue have lost their minds. They're jumping up and down and screaming and going on hunger strikes and all kinds of things. Nathan said yesterday he went on this cruise there in Princeton for 4th of July. Said there was people up there protesting that they'd overturned Roe versus Wade. But those people need prayer doesn't mean we have to like what they do or what they stand for, but we need to be praying for evil people. Jesus prayed for evil people. The very ones who put Him on that cross, what did He say? Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. So don't let our love grow cold. That's a deception. That's one of the deceptions of the end time is that our love will grow cold because the world becomes so evil. Let's not let that happen to us. It's going to be a deception by Christian leaders who will promote bitterness and hatred instead of the principles of Jesus. <clears throat> because people will be so evil, it will be easy to forget Jesus' command to love our enemies and pray for those who work against us. The fact that the world becomes evil during this perilous time or this beginning of sorrows that Jesus has described, the fact that the people get so evil does not change Jesus' command, love your enemies. Pray for those that work against you. That command does not change. So this is the deception we must guard against. We cannot allow our love to grow cold. Hear us today, saith the Lord. Don't allow our love to grow cold. The second thing that's going to happen during this falling away is we're going to allow, some Christians are going to allow their love to grow cold toward one another. And he mentioned in verse 9, will cause some Christians to turn on one another. <clears throat> they forget what Jesus said in John 13, 35. Jesus said, if you, want to, if you want to demonstrate to the world that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, there's one way that you can do that. John 13, 35. By this, all men shall know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. But this pandemic that happened in 2020, this COVID-19, did you see what it did to Christians? It turned Christians against each other. And they berated each other and they fought with each other and they threw insults and this, that, and the other. That shouldn't have happened. If we had disagreements, we should have kept those private and talked to each other about them. We shouldn't have been out here on Facebook throwing insults at our other Christian brethren. Amen? We can't allow our love to grow cold toward one another. And the third thing that's going to happen in this great apostasy, this great falling away, this great deception of this time frame of the beginning of sorrows is going to be carnality amongst Christians. <clears throat> Second Timothy 4 describes another aspect of the falling away as a time when Christians desire teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. It describes and says they'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. 
determine ahead of time what their preacher or what their teacher should be telling them. And they will search and search and search until they find that so that that person can make them feel good about their choices. This is the standard. Amen? And if I don't feel good about something this tells me, then I need to get on my knees and ask forgiveness and say, God, I want to follow you and obey you. I don't want to go find somebody that will try to wiggle and find a worm, uh, not a wormhole, but a loophole in this word. Amen? Amen. They'll have itching ears and they'll be carnal Christians who become weighed down with the cares of this life. And there's many voices right now. I want you to think about this. Tell me, are we living in this beginning of sorrows in America when you listen to this? There's many voices right now telling Christians to rise up and fight natural battles in America. They're telling us, if, telling us that if we fight political battles and win, that somehow we will become a righteous nation again. Not really. Like I said before, we can have good people, honest-hearted Christians in every single position that there is to have. But there'll be somebody sin that day. Because why? They've not been washed in the blood of Jesus. They forget the condition of man's heart and overlook man's tendency to sin. Even if we have good laws, evil people will still commit evil acts. A good example of this is this mess over abortion in our country. As Christians, we need to be more concerned with why people want abortions and why somebody would perform them than the fact of whether they're legal or not. We've made a lot of victory laps the last couple of weeks in Christian circles, and rightly so. That's good. It's good that that evil was overturned and given back to the states. <clears throat> Hopefully they'll do the right thing, make it illegal. But even if it becomes illegal, it will not stop it from happening. That's where you and I, as the Christian church, the light of the world, the salt of the earth, come into play. And that's what Jesus said. Don't be deceived into just getting good laws passed, but you need to be concerned with why people would even want to do such a thing. Why do people want to change their gender? Why do people want to be involved in same-sex stuff? Why do people want to do drugs? and to cheat on their spouses, and to swindle money and all the things that men do. That's what you and I need to be concerned with. It's because those people need heart change. They need Jesus to come into their life and change them. And that's why we're here. That's why Jesus said, you're going to see this beginning of sorrows. It's going to get ugly. It's going to get bad. But that does not change the fact that I said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hid. See, we can't let our love grow cold and just say, well, just away with those such a people. We still have to witness. We still have to say, hey, I used to be a sinner and the Lord saved me. I was living on the road going to hell and the Lord turned me around. Amen? Amen. So as Christians, we need to be more concerned with why people want abortions and why people are willing to perform them and whether it's legal or not. <clears throat> this is a spiritual matter and cannot be fixed through legislation. This is the very reason we're called to testify to the grace and mercy found only in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. In verse 13, our last two verses we'll read. <clears throat> 
After he said, the cause lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. What is this that Jesus speaks of so often? And the New Testament epistles speak to so often about endurance and facing hardship. What, what is this that we, we've seen here so much lately? It's the truth of the Word of God. And some of the people are not teaching these things. If there's Christian leaders, Christian teachers that are not teaching us to turn the other cheek and to love our enemies, they're deceiving us. Uh, you could come up with all kinds of reasons to make your flesh feel good. Well, I'm not taking that no more. What's the Bible saying? That's what Jesus said. Don't be deceived in this evil age we're living in. Amen? So in verse 13, but he who endures part of the time. No. He who endures three quarters of the way. He who endures to the end shall be saved. What did Jesus tell all seven churches in the book of Revelation, chapters 3 and 4? When He finished talking about the church and what they needed to address, what they did good, what they did bad, what did He always say at the end? He who overcomes or he who endures. Amen. Our weapon against this deception during the beginning of sorrows is to overcome. I don't like overcoming. I don't even like that word because the very word signifies that something's going to be tough, right? <clears throat> if you have to overcome, it means there's going to be some uncomfortable situation. <coughs> overcome persecution, overcome hardships, and endure those hardships as a good soldier of Christ, like we talked about a month ago or so. All seven churches were told to overcome. Amen. And in closing with our last verse, verse 14. They wanted signs. Jesus is giving them some signs, isn't he? To be looking for. All this deception and all this. And now he gives them another great sign. Verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached, where? In all the world. As a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. I've heard so many people on TV and they write books and all kinds of stuff and they've got all the end time stuff laid out. Well, it's going to be this and then this and then this and on and on. And I very rarely see them mention that the very ultimate sign that the end's getting ready to come, the gospel has to reach the entire world as a witness to them. So our mission is very clear. Jesus told us to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. The end cannot come until we've proclaimed the gospel in all the world. What did Jesus say? And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. That's the goodness of God. He's not going to destroy this earth and all these other nations until everybody has had the opportunity to understand His kingdom. You and I must proclaim the goodness of Jesus to others as a witness to them. <clears throat> We've talked about it a lot. There's quite a bit of evangelizing that needs to go on in our own families, right? 
We don't have to worry about going out to the mission field. The mission field's in our own household sometimes, in our own families, our extended families, maybe our workplace. In closing today, may we not be troubled or anxious. I'm sorry, I forgot to read the last part of my note. I knew there was more to that. You and I must proclaim the goodness of Jesus to others as a witness to them. And we do this in word and in deed. We not only talk about living for Christ, but we actually live our lives in obedience to Him. Amen? Amen. Now in closing, may you and I, us together as a church, as Christians, may we not be troubled or anxious because of the things happening in our world today. <clears throat> I see some of it and it infuriates me. It makes me mad. But I have to remember that's the part of that deception that's trying to lure me over here into anger and hatred. And I have to check myself against that, right? as we all probably do. I believe we've entered the beginning of sorrows. I really do. If we haven't entered it, it's right at the doorstep. But this beginning of sorrows, this time of lawlessness, this time of great apostasy and great deception, I think it's taken place. However, the Lord said something very important to us about that. Don't be troubled. Be anxious. Consider the lilies of the field. Consider the, the sparrows. Are we not worth more than sparrows? Our Lord and Savior has us in His hand. Our lives are in His hands. So we don't have to fret and we don't have to be troubled. We just need to continue to let our light shine. Amen. And above all, don't let our love grow cold for each other, for the world. Amen. The Lord said these things has to happen. Let us therefore heed His warning and not be deceived. We don't have an earthly Savior and we're not going to get an earthly Savior and we don't need an earthly Savior. Our Savior is seated at the right hand of the majesty of God on His throne and He's awaiting the time when God the Father says, Now. Amen. Jesus said, No man knows the hour, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father. And so Jesus is seated there next to the Father awaiting the time to come get us and bring us to Himself. So our Savior is not on earth, but He's in heaven. So until then, till He returns, <clears throat> let us walk in obedience to Jesus. May we not be sorrowful like those without hope, but may we look up for our redemption draws near. Amen. Amen. Father, we come to you today as we are getting ready to close this service. Father, we thank you for your words and we thank you, Lord Jesus, that in the answer in this simple question, what was the sign that the end was getting ready to take place? Lord, you made it very clear to us not to be deceived because all these natural things are going to happen. People are going to be evil. Things happen in earthquakes, pestilence, floods, all the things we typically use as our go-to sign that the end is coming. But Lord, we see today that the great deception, the great falling away, the great apostasy that would cause us to be lured away from walking with Christ is the number one sign that we need to be aware of. 
Lord, help us not to, to follow a stranger. Help us not to heed the voices of, of mere men and, and evil men who would try to draw us away from our relationship with Christ. But let us walk in love with one another. Let us love the world, not the things in the world, but the people that, that need you. Let us love them. Let us continue to love those that are our enemies and pray in those that do bad to us and work against us. Help us, Lord, as we go through life seeing these evil things to, to not become discouraged and not become hateful toward the people committing these acts. But let us be given even more to, so to prayer that these people may receive Jesus. Help us, Lord, to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth as we go forward in obedience unto you. Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name today. I pray that you be with each and every one as they go on out through their life. Lord, we don't know what, what our society is going to do and what it's going to turn into in the future. But we do know this, that you've said you love us. You've said bad things will happen. Uneasy things will happen. Uncomfortable things will happen. But you told us not to fret or not to worry or be anxious. And we thank you for that today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Keep us all safe to the next appointed time we meet. Amen and amen.